2: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the AwesomeMode.com NFL Strategy Show, Wednesday edition presented by Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. I'm Dave Loughran. With me, going to be every week on this Wednesday show, and I'm excited to have this crew with us each and every Wednesday. Kyle Dvorak, Matt Kojewski. We broke it down pretty solid last week, boys. Got into the weeds with the stacks, with the chalk, with the pivots. You're right on a lot. We're wrong on some. We'll only talk about what we were right about, though, and try and memory hole the rest of it. But Kyle, how'd the week go for you? And uh, what are your thoughts on week two, looking at it, taking a first look here on a Wednesday morning?
0: Yeah, it went well. It was, it was a pretty average day. I think the one thing that saved me is I had a lot of Devontae Adams. I'm not sure if it was this show where we called him Discount Michael Thomas, but I know at some point in the week I called him Discount Michael Thomas. With no Michael Thomas, he's literally just Michael Thomas now. So it was, uh, that ended up being all all you needed was, you know, Devontae Adams didn't do anything else. So it was not bad. And uh, that's kind of what uh, I'm, you know, looking forward to is trying to find some of these like crazy volume receivers. DeAndre Hopkins kind of the same way. So uh, like a lot of moving parts from week one. So that's kind of what I'm looking get into week two.
2: Yeah. And Matt, I was, I actually just posted a, a thread of the week one backfield snaps going through them for, for the week. And I got to tell you, some of these are are a little bit alarming. I, I don't anticipate it being that way throughout the, the year, but, and look, people overreact. There's no question. Last year, the overreaction to Aaron Jones in week one was was pretty intense. And, and that's just one example of many, and they end up being fine. But when you look at you know, the carry splits between Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray, maybe Dalvin Cook snaps compared to, to uh, Alexander Madison. There's a couple spots here in week one that kind of make you scratch your head.
1: There, There is for sure. And it's not just that. Chris Carson tied. Carson, early. yeah. A lot of guys we expected to be bell cows just weren't that in week one. Mark Ingram, I don't think we expected him to be a bell cow, but we saw that as a three-way timeshare. I think game script affected some of this. You know, even if you want to bring up Cleveland, They were in severe negative game scripts. So Kareem Hunt ends up with more touches than Nick Chubb.
2: But Hunt even saw more carries than Nick Chubb.
1: Right, 13 to 10, if I'm not mistaken. You're right. But like you mentioned, this is a little bit of an overreaction city we saw with Aaron Jones last year. I think that is a way that we're going to talk about ownership a lot today. And I think we can leverage it this week just with maybe some overreactions from people.
2: Absolutely. And that is what we're doing. We're happy to have all of you guys with us, as always jumping into ownership talk today. We're gonna to take a look at the chalk. Uh disclaimer, you should know this by now, but if you're new to the channel, first of all, welcome. Second of all, ownership updates throughout the week. Many variables and factors go into to to to, to the changes that you're going to see from Tuesday night or Wednesday morning all the way up through Sunday. So if you're a premium sub at AwesomeO, you always want to pay attention to that. The, the worst thing you could do is load ownership into Fantasy Crunch. Well, if you have Crunch or add-on at AwesomeO, you don't have to. But if you're doing it yourself and you're loading our ownership in on Wednesday and then you don't re-upload it on Sunday, you're going to get results that you're not looking for. But this gives us a very good um, idea, at least, of what games are going to be popular, what teams are going to be popular. Uh, but I want to stay on the backfield for a moment, Kyle, just because – and Matt laid out a bunch of it right here. There was – um, there were a lot of spots that were a little bit concerning. I'd say less so concerning than, than surprising if you're someone that has watched football for a while, played fantasy. You know, generally speaking, the better player usually wins out. Um, but with the Cleveland Browns, even playing from behind – Kareem Hunt had 13 carries to Nick Chubb's 10. He was on the field 49% of the snaps to Chubb's 48 and also out-targeted him, no surprise here, 6-1. to one. Uh, Does that change in week two on Thursday night? And, and again, we're talking main slate, but just your your quick opinion on this, going into a matchup against Cincinnati where they shouldn't be down by 48 points by halftime.
0: Yeah, I definitely think you have to explain. Like, one game shouldn't change the fact that we think Nick Chubb is the guy in the sense between the tackles, but I do think we underrated just how much it is truly going to be a 1A and a 1B. This is not Kareem Hunt as the Tariq Cohen role. This is Kareem Hunt as like sort of how we see at times, you know, Kyle Shanahan distribute his backfield where he just rides with the guy who's playing well. Sometimes both the running backs play well. Both these guys are super talented. So I think we greatly overestimated how like the just the Discrepancy between the two as rushers. And we probably, you know, accurately described how Kareem Hunt would be the only one catching passes. But I do think, like, it wouldn't shock me at this point, not only because the Browns look terrible, so they're going to be in passing downs a lot, or at least passing situations a lot. It wouldn't shock me if, especially in like PPR formats, like DraftKings formats, we see more weeks where Nick Chubb just doesn't have the receiving upside to combat Kareem Hunt's, you know, six target games. And they split the carries close to equally. I'd still say 60 40 in favor of Chubb, but it, at this point, it is a full-blown committee, and one of these guys has passed catching upside, and the other guy's what big
2: about, up. What about Matt the Bills situation? This is one where I've had a tough time wrapping my head around it. It's unfortunate because I'm a huge Devin Singletary fan. I, I think he's good, uh, but apparently Sean McDermott doesn't feel the same way. Or if he does, he likes Zach Moss more. But that split, Singletary was on the field for almost 60% of their snaps, uh, but he saw... I believe, what, they both saw nine carries and Singletary saw a couple more uh, uh, targets. But Moss had 10 looks inside of the red zone. 10 looks inside the red zone. That was one spot where you can't help but shake your head and say this might be a trend that we can't buck, that we can't get away from going forward. And Singletary, despite the fact that he can make some big plays, chunk yardage, break off some big ones, he's going to probably have to do it from 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 out further than the 10-yard line going forward now that, Ma- that Moss is competing for touches?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. These guys are in a timeshare, except in the red zone, where it's pretty clearly Zach Moss's role. So you're relying on Devin Singletary to accumulate yardage basically between the 20s. We know that Moss is going to at least factor in on passing downs, too. He had four targets, and he ran a route on 38% of Josh Allen's dropback, so it's not like it was exclusively Devin Singletary as the pass catching back. Zach Moss was factoring in there too. So I think Moss is probably the guy you want to look at in DFS. I'm generally not going to touch a situation like this unless it, you know, it's a short slate or something like that. So I'm still probably hands off on most slates, but I think Moss is a little more intriguing than Singletary right now.
2: Do you have any thoughts on this, Kyle, before we get into ownership? Because I do think this might be a spot to potentially exploit throughout the season based on where ownership comes in each week. Uh, It's going to be a tough one to get right, though, with Buffalo because not only are you going to need to get the backfield right in that they actually manufacture yards and fantasy points on the ground, but then you're going to have to get two of two right in who's actually the one manufacturing those uh, those numbers.
0: Yeah, for me, it actually – I'm not awfully surprised because one Moss does have this, like, thumper ability short, but he's thick. I think it has to be based on Devin Singletary's fumbling. He fumbled a ton in camp, supposedly. He fumbled like four or five times last year on 150 or so carries. That was like one of the highest rates among running backs. And where do you not want to give your opponent the ball right before you score? So I think tactically it makes a lot of sense that you want a guy who can produce produce chunk yardage. You want to use him on your own 20, on your own 50, or I guess on your own 50, on the 50. You don't want him fumbling at the eight-yard line. So I think we'll probably see this split going forward, and because of that, like – almost not no touchdown upside, but that really limited touchdown upside. I, I can't imagine myself playing much, if any, Devin Singletary going forward.
2: It sucks. And Matt mentioned they uh, ran only or he ran only six fewer routes than Devin Singletary, 26 to 20, which which is pretty unfortunate. Uh, I'll go both to, both of you guys one time eight here to see if we uh, have anything else that we distinguished throughout week one in the backfields. James Robinson had every single running back carry for Jacksonville, all 16 of them. Chenault had a couple, but he's a wide receiver. Minshew had a few, but nobody else in that backfield. Uh, There were a few interesting things to note, Matt, like Austin Eckler getting out-touched by Josh Kelly, 10-9 to in the second half, uh, and having 19 carries but only one target with Terod Taylor. Uh, in the back or uh, under center that could change this week for sure against Kansas city. There's a lot to get into, but is there anything else that you think is important to hit on from these backfield splits, timeshares, or maybe something else among running backs?
1: I think Eckler is a good one to touch on. And I don't know what the plan is going forward with these running backs in Los Angeles, but you want to talk about the one target for Eckler. He's the only running back that actually ran a route on that team. Joshua Kelly didn't run any Of course, that that game got away from them a little bit at the end. I know they were playing with positive game script through most of it, and then they they had the near-Joe Burrow comeback. So I think Eckler is still the guy you want to at least target here. I think you could potentially get some leverage if you ever see Los Angeles in a negative game script. It doesn't look like Joshua Kelly is going to be a factor in the passing game. Again, no routes for him, no targets. Eckler... He ran a route on 65% of dropbacks, but again, that was a lot of positive game script for Los Angeles. So I still think Eckler's the guy, and I think you could potentially get some leverage in the right game script. Kyle, uh, thoughts?
0: Yeah, you know, you're you're talking my language, because I think people are going to see the sky is falling with Austin Eckler, one target. I don't think, I think they were, you know, the Bengals scored first, I believe, but outside of that, there was really no, like, massively negative game script. I'm not sure if you know this or not. They play the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are going to kill them this week. That is the most neg- – like, playing the Chiefs the Ravens is the most negative game script you can probably get in the NFL if you're Tyrod Taylor in the Chargers. I do think it's a downgrade. Like, Phillip Rivers, we saw as soon as he goes to Indy, he targets his running backs an absurd amount of times. But Eckler is still a good receiving back, and I do believe, you know, targets are a talent statistic. They are a measure of a player's ability to get open, to get on the field, and to inevitably score fantasy points on those targets. Eckler is still talented. He's not as, you know, he's not going to be as used, but when you're getting killed by the Chiefs, I do think this is a spot like, like Matt said, that's where you want to gain your leverage. is a great spot for a pass catching back like Austin Eckler, who's going to be dynamic on those touches. If they're projected to be winning a game, like, you know, when they play the the Raiders or the Broncos or whatever, those are games I'm not going to be on him. This week, I actually really like Eckler in a bounce back spot where people think the sky is falling.
2: No question. And I'll tell you what, he could be the death of me this week or, or he could, make life really great. Uh, I mentioned on yesterday's show with Sal Vetri and Ben Rossa that if Austin Eckler is coming in with lower ownership for both of the reasons that you guys just noted, there's no reason not to absolutely love him. Now, are you going to see more running from the, the court, their quarterback this year than last? Of course, Philip Rivers you know, isn't taking off every opportunity when, when, the, when uh, protection breaks down, but, you're still going to see Austin Eckler utilize far more as a, as a pass catcher. And I, look, think of it this way. Here's a very simply to kind of expand on what you guys were saying. He had 19 carries. So it's not like he wasn't involved. Yes. Joshua Kelly was used quite a bit out of the backfield in the second half, but Austin Eckler still had 19 carries. So they want to get this guy, the ball. Uh, and if it's a game where they're playing from behind, they could go down two scores very early in this game uh Jerwin James being out doesn't help. They still have a good defense, but uh, I I expect this to potentially get kind of ugly. Right now, Matt, you're looking at Austin Eckler. We do have our preliminary ownership out, 3.6%. If Austin Eckler on draftKings at 6500 comes in at 3.5%, I will be so far over the field on him it's
1: ridiculous. I I couldn't agree more. Like you said, you're still looking at a guy with 19 touches, and most of that coming in the first half. Yeah, I, st- I still think he's pretty clearly the focal point of this offense, and just the receiving workload alone on DraftKings specifically—that's what you want. And Kelly doesn't offer that.
2: Let's talk some ownership, fellas. Kyle, Kenyon Drake, right now. I was—I shouldn't say I was surprised by this, but I did give it a, a, a double take until I saw his salary was 5,900, and then it all kind of made sense. But. Right now, we've got him projected for the most ownership on the slate at 29%. Talk to me about how you think this grades out for him against the Washington team that uh, annihilated the off, uh, make complete makeshift offensive line for the Philadelphia Eagles without Dillard, without Brandon Brooks, and then without Lane Johnson last minute. They were in trouble to begin with, but eight sacks against Carson Wentz, it's a career worst for him. Uh, they they did so much damage they plugged up the the holes they allowed nothing for Boston Scott or Corey Clement on the ground but Kenyon Drake now coming in with a DeAndre Hopkins supporting cast Kyler Murray uh, Christian Kirk the list goes on they have a lot of weapons and their offensive line isn't nearly as banged up as the Eagles Uh, does he justify 29 percent ownership though would be the real big question they hit on first here
0: that's so funny. I think you literally did the exact same thing as I did. You pull up the ownership, that's the first tab you go to and you you sort by highest. And you're like, that's insane. Yeah, I'm like, exactly. oh well, let's see, let's see the split. He must have, you know, Chase Edmond must have gotten hurt. He must not have played. I swear I saw him catch a touchdown. No, he caught a touchdown. I believe he got six carries, got five targets. Then what is going on here? Then you realize he's what well, he's fifty is he 57 or 59? Exactly. 59, I believe. Exactly. Yeah. That so you then you go to that and you realize he has the best projection on the slate. Yeah, I get like if you want to go to him and cash, I am just going to pivot down to a guy who's going to be ten percent less ownership than Jonathan Taylor on the sole fact that yes, we saw this. This Washington line is going to start four first rounders. And we saw that, like, Chase Edmonds even got red zone touches. His, his touchdown came on a red zone target, got five targets to Kenyon Drake's two. I, I think the, the price alone makes Kenyon Drake a great play. But in, in tournaments, a guy at 30% ownership who I think could just get, like, he could have his target sapped away by a player who is talented in his own right in Chase Edmonds. Edmonds could score, like, could get in on the five and score. I think there are outs to Kenyon Drake failing and a 30% ownership. That's what I'm looking for. And Jonathan Taylor, I believe, is our number two best projection right now in terms of value is going to be 10% less owned and basically is the exact same type of play where he's got a receiving back on his tails, but he is clearly incredibly talented. I'm just going to do the same thing, but at lower ownership for me with Jonathan Taylor. I love Kenyon Drake. I think that ownership is insane.
2: It is. And like you said, the 5,900 is... The- if Kenyon Drake was 7k, where he I'd say he probably should be 6,800 or so, he'd be a lot less owned, but he's not, Matt. Uh, and then you've got someone in Jonathan Taylor going up against Minnesota at home. This Minnesota defense, uh, uh, in both phases, could be in some serious trouble this year,
1: yeah, absolutely. It was that was one of our better predictions of the week last week, just talking about their secondary replacing four yeah. or five guys, Daniil Hunter on injured reserve. Jonathan Taylor, his projection jumps, of course, because Marlon Mack is hurt. Jonathan Taylor himself wasn't very promising in, in week one. Aside from the six targets he received, we talk about Philip Rivers targeting running backs at an absurd rate. He continued to do so. But Taylor only ran 12 routes. That was just a route on 26% of Phillip Rivers' dropbacks. So he was targeted at an absurd rate when he was running them. This is still pretty clearly Naheem Hines' role. He ran a route on 60% of Phillip Rivers' dropbacks. So, in tournaments, I do think Taylor is a very nice pivot off Kenyon Drake. I think Kenyon Drake is still pretty clearly the safe play. Kenyon Drake in a game where they are favored by nearly a touchdown as well. So, game script should be in his favor.
2: Yeah, I was a little bit concerned about the 53% snaps for, for 99, 35% from Taylor. Now, granted, when
1: you're talking about. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: more than once, actually. Do
1: I have to say?
0: Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's
1: PTA meeting.
0: Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void representative prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Acts that do a lot of the work on the ground, you're, you're going to see less snaps, but you're going to be utilized on a higher percentage of those snaps. Like LeSean McCoy played 35% of snaps or 30 something percent of snaps in this game had one or in in the box game had one target. That was all. So, you know, when Taylor's on the field, he's certainly going to be used. It it was it was encouraging to see that he got that he got used six times in the in the passing game. You mentioned the discrepancy between routes run. There's no doubt Naeem Hines is still a pass catching back. Even if Mac was healthy, like this was the plan going into the season. Uh, but a couple of other running backs uh, to touch on as far as ownership goes, Kyle, one of them here, actually, let me stay with Matt. Let you hit on this one first and then we'll get Kyle's take. Um, the, the next one is uh, Derek Henry. I, I I know the guy doesn't catch many passes. He was three for three on Monday night. So good for him. But How do you not look at this matchup at 7,900, 7,900, a guy who was wildly inefficient last game and still had 116 rushing yards on 31 carries. Like now you're talking about a spot where they should be, this game should be scripted perfectly for him. He should have every opportunity on the ground. They won't need to throw 43 times like Tannehill did against the Broncos I don't know, man, call me a sucker, but I could see a monster, monster game from Henry and he doesn't even need a ton of work on the, uh, through the air.
1: Man, this is a repeat of the game where we saw that monstrous Derrick Henry gun where he stiff arms, like four dudes on his 90 yard touchdown run or whatever. Was that but the four you,
2: touchdown game?
1: Yeah, it was ridiculous.
2: Was that, yeah. Yeah.
1: But Henry, I mean, you're getting him at a 2k price discount off a guy like McCaffrey 34 touches last week. Played on an absurd 100% of Tennessee's running plays. <laughs> we talk, talk about the 31 carries. I think we know what this offense wants to do. There's no question whatsoever. It's nice to see him get looks in the receiving game. That's never going to be his thing. But when we have injuries to other backs, you know, they like, like last week they were running Jeremy McNichols out there. So I think Derrick Henry's still a lock to get at least a couple targets. You know, it's not great, but anything you can add on to that floor, I think he's a fantastic play.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. No more Deion Lewis, who could actually be used pretty heavily uh, in the passing game when necessary. Yeah, I don't know, Kyle, 7,900 on someone that could have 35 touches and you wouldn't bat an eye at it seems pretty reasonable.
0: Yeah, well, I just want to double back on the uh, the receiving upside, or at least having some ability to make a splash in the receiving game. said Evans wasn't able to play week one, played or would have played on Monday night, so it doesn't look great for him playing week two, and he was a guy who supposedly had, like, fumbling issues in training camp, so I could see them, even if he is, you know, active, limiting his touches. Outside of that, they literally have Jeremy Nichols, who is a practice squad player, not even their practice squad player. He's bounced around like, three or four practice squads at this point. So, for me, I don't see any way that they're getting, like, these other guys. Sonoris Perry is just, like, a special teams player, and he's the backup running back. So, for me, there is no, like, no universe in which he doesn't get of the, you know, 95 to 100% of the running back carries and uh, a target or two or maybe even three or four. So yeah, I think this is a spot where you can be comfortable with Derrick Henry knowing that even if he's a guy who is not Austin Eckler as a receiver, he has some reception upside and he's Derrick freaking Henry. He's going to get 30 touches. That's what this team wants to do. So yeah, I like Derrick Henry in this spot against still a terrible Jacksonville team.
2: Last year too, he averaged about uh, 13 routes run per game. He ran 20 routes on Monday. So it's not great, but, you know, if the guy's going to get 30 carries and and like you guys said, maybe he gets three targets, maybe four. I don't know. You get four targets and potentially 25, 30 touches on the ground. He, and and against the defense that lost Ngakwe, that lost Calais Campbell, the run defense, Matt, is is just going to be diced apart. Uh, and we saw Marlon Mack before he got hurt. What do you have, four carries for like 26 yards? Uh, th- these guys were running all over them. The, the, they lost. The Colts lost. But what did they have? 500 total yards of offense or something? They just couldn't punch it in.
1: Yeah, that defense, regardless of what you see on Twitter about CJ Henderson having a great game, they're still brutal. If you look at yards per attempt allowed, 7.8, that was in the bottom half of the league, four yards per carry. It's just not a good defense any way you slice this.
2: It's really not. So, Listen, it sounds like we're eating the chalk with Derrick Henry this week. I'm okay with that. Um, Kyle, what about someone like Ezekiel Elliott, 22% owned? He's coming in very similar ownership to Derrick Henry right now uh, and very similar pricing at 8200 These type of guys at this price uh, in their respective matchups are going to make it so you're probably not looking to get to McCaffrey or Barkley as much unless you're trying to be different, which could actually end up being the case. So how, how are you viewing that with Elliot and Henry there compared to someone like McCaffrey and Barkley?
0: Yeah. So I think you mentioned this on the last show where McCaffrey, since he became a 10 K player appeared in the top like 0.1% of lineups over half time. Just once he was basically a major, he was like a majority of winning players had him. Just and he had won.
2: only 17 fantasy points that week, by the way. Yeah,
0: he just led you to the right build that week. Exactly, he wasn't even exactly. the right, like, he wasn't even a good play. He just happened to force you into playing all of the other good plays. This was, I believe, uh, Sunday was another week like that where he didn't appear in the top, you know, he didn't appear in over half these top 1% lineups. And he had a good game. He he just, it is so price prohibitive. So for me, I'm probably just not going back to him at all. Saquon Barkley, another guy that I'm probably not super interested in. This this Giants offense just doesn't look like they're going to be able to do much. Really, you need him to break a long reception. And I'm not sure, like, he does have that upside, but... At this point, his running game, just not his running game, the Giants running game, I think this is a largely a product of their inability to get like big holes for him. He's trying to bounce things outside, and it just isn't working. I'm not really going to be on either him or McCaffrey. I'll probably be looking to basically split my high-end running back ownership between a guy like Zeke and Derrick Henry because I just think they're so price, prohib- price prohibitive when you go up to a guy like CMC at 10K.
2: What are your thoughts on the top end of the position too, Matt, knowing that there are a couple guys that are going to get ownership, but are in such good spots and probably are underpriced by $500. If you're comparing it to somebody like McCaffrey.
1: I do like pivots, especially in tournaments this week. I think Derrick Henry is probably your top play up here, but when you look down the ownership ladder, aside from Christian McCaffrey, who's 10 K, I agree with everything Kyle said on that. I like Saquon. He's a guy that's going to see 20 to 25 touches. We have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in just a superior smash-the-run game script, and he is coming in just egregiously under-owned. On on DraftKings, we're looking at a guy 3.5% for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I don't know if people forgot about his 25-carry game last week against Houston. I know it's not a great matchup, but you're looking for touches, and these guys are certainly providing that at just a fraction of the ownership of a guy like Zeke.
2: That is that is really low ownership on Edward Solera, and and I think you're going to see a decent amount of this this week. I was just looking through the, the the running back position, looking at some spots that I really liked, and thinking to myself, these guys probably should be higher owned, but they're not for one reason or another. Uh, somebody else, let me let me check his ownership here and get your guys' take on him. Uh, where are we coming in at? Yeah, Ronald Jones is another one that eight percent to me actually doesn't seem that bad, Kyle. I'm and obviously Miles Sanders status will play a role in this. If he's healthy, I think it's six K he's going to get some ownership. So it'll be funneled elsewhere, but Ronald Jones, Bruce Arians actually kept his word in saying that Ronald Jones was going to be the bell cow back. I was a little bit surprised by that, but here we are on Wednesday talking about his performance on Sunday, even with them playing from behind for large stretches of that game. And he had 17 carries. McCoy didn't have a single carry. Fournette had five. Uh, and Jones was targeted a few times in the red zone as well, got a couple looks there. He also had three targets. So I don't know. I, I look at someone in Jones and think, against uh, or in a matchup now against Carolina that just coughed up three rushing touchdowns to Josh Jacobs, maybe not as efficient a game as we'd want, but uh, the, the Tampa Bay Bucs being touchdown plus favorites here. That stands out to me as a spot where at fifty two hundred, I really thought he would be a lot higher owned than he's currently projected for. Him.
0: Yeah, you said it. He like Bruce Arians uh, as a shocking in a shocking plot twist was actually right in what he said <laughs> that like Ronald Jones going to be the guy. It's happened so many times. I know. I think like people pointed out him saying this about Andre Ellington that he was going to get 300 touches in a season. He gets injured, so maybe he wasn't lying there necessarily, but he has a history of of basically just being deceitful with how he uses and says he's going to use his running backs. It wasn't in this case. See, I agree. Ronald Jones, a guy who I'm kind of surprised at his relatively affordable price. Maybe it's just the fact, actually, I would accredit to the fact that we have so many high-end running backs that we want to pay for, that I think the the popular roster build is just going to be getting in high-owned or high-priced guys. So maybe that's what it is. And in that case, I think you both get a roster construction pivot and a, just a raw ownership pivot when you move down from, say, an Ezekiel Elliott to Ronald Jones. And given the – he probably has 20, 25-touch upside, especially in a game where they're supposed to be favored. Last week, this offense didn't look very good against a much better New Orleans Saints defense. In this case, I actually think this is probably a great way to pivot down not only off just pure price point, but also it's going to force you to build a bit of a different roster.
2: John Musto says, either Lafayette needs glasses or these guys need backwards hats. Let's go. Maybe we'll get you guys backwards hats and I'll put on a pair of glasses. We can really double up here. Uh, Fear of Money Entertainment says keep fading McCaffrey at your own risk. Just know he'll break the slate at least one out of the 16 weeks. Talking like Jokic, 75 DraftKings points uh, last night. Look, I don't, first of all, I don't think anyone's advocating for a McCaffrey fade, but the idea is that 30 fantasy points for McCaffrey is almost every single week if he's 10K plus and not going to get you where you need to go. As good as he is 40 plus fantasy points is a very difficult thing to do, no matter how good he is. So yes, when somebody like Derrick Henry is, is, is 2 $2, $2,100 cheaper. Zeke is a lot cheaper in a great matchup. And you've got a ton of other guys that might not give you 40, but might give you 26, 27 at 5,200 or Kenyon Drake at 59. Uh, it, it just opens things up a, a whole lot more. So I don't think anyone's advocating fades, but definitely coming in underweight when you don't necessarily need to get there. Matt mentioned Car- uh, Clyde edwards Hilaire is another one who looked phenomenal uh, in his week one NFL debut. So let's talk about a couple more chalk options here. Wide receiver, Matt. The 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 position saw Devontae Adams last week, and we both, or the three of us at all said, D- Devontae Adams and Adam Thielen are likely going to have some really big games. Now, I'll be the first to say, I didn't think Aaron Rodgers was going to do what he did. That that was a bit surprising to me. Had a lot of Adams, not a lot of Rodgers, did have a lot of Thielen. And now you're getting Devontae Adams, uh, 25% ownership here. I don't know, Matt. It's it's To me, the 8,100, if you can get there, is worth it. I get it that Alan Lazard and, and, and MVS um, had decent games last time out. But there's no question who the top dog is here. Who's the you know one of the most preeminent wide receivers in the league? And there's no question who Rodgers is going to look to every single week.
1: It's, you said it best. I mean, forty-one and a half percent target share, forty-two percent air yard share. These numbers are just absolutely ridiculous. He gets a really, really nice matchup against Detroit here. This is an over-under that's already risen a couple points. It's at 49 and a half, and I'm not sure it closes here. This Detroit secondary, it is entirely hurt. Everyone got hurt in that game. I don't know what it is with the Lions and hamstring injuries. Kenny Kenny Galladay, hamstring injury. Jeff Okuda, hamstring injury. Desmond Trufant leaves the game, hamstring injury. Justin Coleman leaves the game, hamstring injury. That's literally... That's crazy. Yeah, that's three of their best five defensive backs. Now, we don't have the injury reports yet, but some of those guys returned to the game. Some of them didn't. The Lions finished out the game with Daryl Roberts, Tony McRae, and Amani Arouarie as their three starting corners.
2: <laughs> so you're saying that Devontae Adams could be in a decent spot
1: this week. If those, if their starters don't play, I mean, lock him.
2: Yeah, seriously, even if their starters do play, uh, I'll have a decent amount of interest. But otherwise, it's going to be... the. The other thing too, Kyle, is even if Aaron Jones has solid games, generally Devontae Adams still has good games too, because outside of last week where, and I'm not saying Alan Lazard is is a bad pass catcher. I'm not saying he's a bad receiver, but mind you, he was only targeted four times. He just happened to catch all of them and brought in a, uh, and brought in a touchdown in the process. Felt as Scantling had 96 yards in a score, but was only targeted six times. So if we're really looking at this, if we're if you want to zoom out and take a thirty thousand foot view from what we uh, from what we saw last game, um, or you know maybe we should go the other way, put it under a microscope instead. You're, you're talking about two guys that saw a combined ten targets and caught eight of them for two touchdowns. Devontae Adams on the other on the other hand is is coming in with uh, seventeen targets, <laughs> seventeen targets, fourteen receptions, one hundred and fifty six yards and two touchdowns. He had almost twice as much as those guys combined.
0: Yeah, I think the problem with zooming out is that if you zoomed out, you wouldn't be able to see these minuscule Alan Lazard target <laughs> shares compared to the the mountain of targets. Exactly. The... the the floating mass of targets in the ocean. That's why I correct myself. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to see him. But yeah, you, you said it though that these guys are clearly like they're only going to really pay off in games where we think Rodgers goes nuts. It happens week one, so they do pay off. But otherwise, it is so much the Devonte Adams show. It is more the Devonte Adams show than maybe em- any other wide receiver, respected to his own team. So for me, yeah, I'm not really looking to to dip back into the Alan Lazard or the Marcus Vada Scantling unless I'm going with Rodgers stacks, which isn't in my in my Portfolio right now this week.
2: No, for sure. By the way, I mentioned on uh I think it was Sunday's deeper dive that uh, just ingest that Robert something crazy is gonna happen where somewhere like Robert Tanyan is in the a hundred thousand dollar winning lineup, and you better believe it. Robert Tanyan in the top lineup in the slant, I think it was like thirty 000 or forty thousand dollars, zero fantasy points. So, he was number two in the millie
0: too. I think he was. He was on the second really? team in the millie. He caught. Well, he cost someone in the millie, I guess, because he scored zero.
2: It's crazy, <laughs> but it is. It comes down to that build sometimes. Like we we said, the Christian McCaffrey, mm-hmm. seventeen points, but he's in the top lineup. Robert Tanyan got them to where they needed to go. I guess I'll take second in the millie any day of the week. Um, Matt, Amari Cooper is brace yourself. He's a fantasy fraud. I know nobody wants to hear that. I am so out on Amari Cooper for fantasy. I even wrote about him being a bust this year relative to his ADP. So keep this in mind. It's all relative. But nobody disappears at this ADP at his price point more than Amari Cooper. Nobody. Like you put him in a tough matchup outside of, uh, I think it was, I think it was Xavier Howard last year. He had a great game. I'll give him that. But aside from that, Man, and I'm not asking you to agree with me, but Amari Cooper disappears so often. He just turns into to Harry Houdini and poof, he's gone. Now you got CeeDee Lamb, who looked really good. you got Michael Gallup, who I'm a, a big fan of. Uh, you've got Ezekiel Elliott. I like Amari Cooper in this spot, all things considered, against Atlanta. Russell Wilson didn't even need to try to, to, just, to ravage them for four quarters last week. But he's coming in at almost 30% ownership this week. You'll see some beads of sweat dripping from my forehead when I look at that number.
1: For sure. I think he's probably one of the better cash plays on the slate. You're going to look to Devontae Adams. You're going to look to Amari Cooper. It's because of Amari Cooper's price. He's 6'3", Of course, we didn't get the adjustment from his late game. And he he comes in with 14 targets, a 37, nearly 38% target share, over 40% of the air yards. But the thing is, with this Dallas offense, we saw it last year. He was nearly in lockstep with Gallup last year as far as, as far as targets, air yards go. And it's just a one-week sample. Now, this could correct. Next week, it could correct in week three, four. Gallup still ran the same amount of routes. And then we have C.D. Lamb. He only ran three fewer routes. I think in a GPP situation, you can just take the ownership break, go to Gallup, go to C.D. Lamb, and hope for a little bit of regression.
2: Oh, man. See, the thing is, Kyle, that every year, Amari Cooper is going to give you one game with 200 receiving yards. All right. That's just going to happen. As a matter of fact, he's done it in three consecutive years. He had 226 against Green Bay last season. Two years ago, he had 217 against Philly, 210 against Kansas City in 2018. This is what he does. But then other times he might not be anywhere is this going to be that huge Amari Cooper game in a matchup that, that clearly bodes well for him or in tournaments, should we potentially think about coming in under the field?
0: Yeah, I, that's crazy. I didn't realize he had three consecutive seasons with a 200 yard game. It's it's crazy. It's so specific that he can do, like he's one of the only players in the NFL who can literally do that. every I know that's what what makes him. it's, It's horrifying.
2: That's what makes him such an enigma because then he'll have zero receptions on one target the very next game.
0: Yeah, and this game sets up to be the 200 yard game for sure. It is against a, a terrible Atlanta secondary. You you said it, Russ shredded them, but uh, like ownership is ownership, and if he if he goes off, you were still competing with you know a third of the field close to it to win lineups. I I agree with Matt unfortunately because I think this is just a sm- like an absolute smash spot for, smash spot for Cooper. But that also makes it a bit of a smash spot for Gallup and CeeDee Lamb, who, as he said, they were on the field. Basically, their base set is going to be playing a ton of three wide, especially with Blake Jarwin out. They're going to have CeeDee Lamb running out of the slot. I can see either of these guys just breaking off, especially Michael Gallup, have like a 15, over 15 ADOT. If Michael Gallup breaks two long ones, goes for two touchdowns, those are two drives where Amari Cooper is not getting two to three targets. So for me, Gallup is, is probably a good leverage down play off of him, but like Cooper is still in such a great spot that I'm going to be sweating every single time Dallas takes the field.
2: And you remember last week we said how we didn't really mind getting away from the, the chalk Saints game, chalk uh, Tampa Bay game. That Doing so would not have hurt you. I'm terrified. This game's going to be uber chalk. I'm terrified to to get away from it. So uh, I don't know. I, I haven't crunched any lineups yet. We still have to wait. Uh, the top stack tool will be updated today at awesomemode.com. So we'll check that out. But my guess, Matt, is that you're just going to see an abundance of ownership here. If you're just looking at it right now and, and you're not filtering by any position, just looking at everything in total, Amari Cooper, 27%, Ezekiel Elliott, 22%, Gallup, 19%. These guys are definitely up there. CeeDee Lamb, double digits, 10%. Not crazy, uh, but but he's certainly getting something. Uh, and I'm curious. Uh, I don't see him anywhere. Okay. But yeah, still that that's a lot that that's that's a lot going to this game, and there's no doubt on the other side uh, you're going to see a ton from Atlanta too.
1: Absolutely, and I think you can all. There's always going to be merit to fading games like this. There's a situation where this game busts. There's a situation where a game like Green Bay Detroit, the third highest point total on the slate as we speak. This will move throughout the week. Maybe that's the game that shoots out. Green Bay Minnesota is the game that shot out last week. Kirk Cousins was something like 2% owned around there in most tournaments. Aaron Rodgers was somewhere around there as well. And if you rostered those guys, you had a great shot at a one percentile finish. So there's there's always merit to finish fading these games. It's not always, do I think Matt Ryan has a great game? Do I think Dak Prescott has a great game? It's what other game could potentially outscore it?
2: You know, it's going to be Dalton Schultz that goes for like 10 and 150 and three touchdowns. <laughs> you know, it's one of those games, but no, you, you can't get away from it. Uh, and throughout the week, we're going to be touching on so much more of this. Tomorrow, we're going to go game by game, uh, b- full 13-game breakdown, myself and Matt Savoca. Uh, Friday, we've got one of the final tune-ups, a phenomenal show. Saturday, you've got the real final look. On the contrary, Saturday afternoon and then the Deeper Dive. So a lot of stuff coming up. Um, so stay tuned. All of the NFL content you need for DFS and for season long at awesomeo.com. But we'll talk tight ends here, and then we'll get into a couple pivots. We'll we'll close it out with some some top-stack ownership as well uh, and where we think is the best place to get away from that. But, uh, Kyle, if we're talking tight ends, you've got Chris Herndon right now, Mark Andrews, and Tyler Higby, three players in double digits currently, 13 12 and 11% respectively for Herndon, Andrews, and Higby. They're facing the Niners, the the uh the houston texans and the philadelphia eagles so i don't know that, this might be a spot we get different at tight end what do you say do you like them here
0: yeah herndon is one that kind of surprised me given the state maybe it's because of the state of the jets offense but for me i like i like targets but i like targets that come from good teams and good quarterbacks and, and herndon isn't kidding either of those this Jets team is going to be terrible maybe that funnels more targets to him but we saw with like a guy like jamison crowder I don't want to say he got lucky. He's a talented player, but he broke one long play. If he doesn't, this entire Jets offense, nobody pays off their, their salary. And that like that could just be them every single week and they, they face the Niners. For me, I'd rather pivot to a guy like Logan Thomas, who Logan Thomas is going to get, I don't think his offense is great, but it looked better than the Jets. He's going to get probably as many targets, if not more targets, because his offense can just produce more plays. So I'd look to a guy like Logan Thomas, super athlete. We saw him, I believe he led the Washington in targets last, last week handful of air yards as well to those targets so he's a guy who's athletic getting the volume i'd rather go to him i get paying up for a guy like mark andrews mark andrews who saw like this this raven's offense man and in a game that should have a ton of points i think you can always go to mark andrews despite despite the ownership i think it makes sense maybe to pay up for him and then get different elsewhere
2: man that back of the end zone catch from andrews was spectacular that was a that was a oh my god um unbelievable catch he hauled in two scores on the day by the way ian Rappaport reporting right now that uh Richard Sherman just hit the injured reserve, so uh, he's on the IR. It looks to be a short-term situation, but, you know, apply that to whatever you're doing for this week. It's unfortunate that it's going up against the New York Jets, and we don't really have a ton of opportunity there. But uh, we move on, keeping the, the topic on tight ends here. Matt, I'll go to you, and I want to get to pivot so we won't spend too much time on the chalk. There isn't that much chalk right now at tight end. Jack Doyle's at 9%. Ertz is at 8%. Uh, Travis Kelsey's at 6%. Interestingly, Dallas Goddard, where's Dallas Goddard? Is he, I don't even see him on here. He's all the way down there. Uh, Okay, so his price has come up. Dallas Goddard's getting no love whatsoever. Uh, I'm always interested to see what you guys think about some cheaper options at tight end. We can rip right into the pivots right now. Uh, Do you like the chalk or do we get away from this and find some cheap options or even some more expensive plays that are just less popular uh, at the position?
1: And it's not every week you can play a tight end on a team with a ten point team total that only <laughs> ran fifty six percent of the routes, and he comes in as the most owned tight end. So, yeah, I think I'll be fading a little bit of Chris Herndon here. There's a lot of pivots. There's guys basically. At they actually
2: every, have a, a ten point total.
1: No, I'm just I whatever it is, it's extremely low. <laughs> okay, arguably the the lowest total on the slate. Let me see what it. They is. should be. Yeah, they they
0: they should have the lowest total. This offense is gonna be terrible. Sam Donald does not look good. Adam Gase is a donkey.
2: Yeah, 17.75, though.
0: Especially in that price range. Like,
1: why aren't you just targeting Jack Doyle? He's 200 more. Why aren't you targeting Dalton Schultz, who's 300 more in a much better matchup? And Dalton Schultz quietly just assumed the Blake Jarwin role. If you separate the Jarwin snaps from the Dalton Schultz snaps, Dalton Schultz is nearly running a route. Whenever he's on the field, he had four targets, an 11% target share that was in limited snaps. So, I mean, he's a pivot just if you want to stay in that price range. And then if you want to talk about guys that are more expensive, I don't know why people don't like Dallas Goddard. I know he's a little bit more expensive. He's 5K. I mean, he was 4.1K last week, but you're talking about a guy playing on a team that runs nearly 100% 12 personnel. It's not quite that high, but it's close. Goddard played 79% of snaps ran a route on 62% of his dropbacks and then saw nine targets. I mean, when he's on the field, he's being used as a receiver. He's often playing in the slot. I think he's a very nice pivot, just out of the guys you mentioned. There's really pivots at every price point right right now, based on ownership.
2: Yeah, great points. And yeah, Ertz played 85 percent of snaps. Goddard played 79. So it, you know, it's really look. It, it would really be like looking at something and saying, "Oh, I don't want to play the tight end, or I don't want to play the wide receiver two on a team because the wide receiver one is so good." And when you when you look at it with with Philadelphia. They're both out there so often that it's not like Goddard is only getting opportunities when Ertz is off the field. You just said it. They're running 12 personnel a ton. Uh, And not to mention that Carson Wentz, the one thing I really liked and the one thing I hated at the same time is the protection was terrible, but he was winding up on a ton of attempts. I think he he attempted uh, eight or nine deep balls in this game. That's going to open things up in a big way. Uh, and then you're going to start to see guys like Dallas Goddard, who uh, actually had a touchdown on that deep ball, get some big opportunities to break off chunk plays. So uh, I'm with you at, f- at 5K. Hell, I-, I think at this point, maybe it's maybe I'm crazy, but is the – well, we know the reason, Kyle, that Goddard is coming in low isn't just because he's 5K, but because Ertz is only 5,600. And maybe that is one way to get a little bit different – if, if if Zach Ertz is 5,600, and my assumption this year is that they're actually going to have very similar market shares of targets. I really do. I, I don't think Ertz is going to be pulling away from the pack nearly as much as he did last year, uh, especially if Deshaun Jackson's snaps continue to be limited. Uh, I, I don't know if Goddard really should be that much. Like I don't think Goddard should be 3,500 and Ertz should be forty or 56. I think soon enough you're going to see these guys very similarly priced.
0: Yeah, I think it's weird that people are so low relative to a good performance on Goddard just because their number two tight end, Zach Ertz, is gonna steal some snaps, steal some targets. Goddard, the number one. <laughs>
2: oh, man, no, right, he's he young,
0: he's athletic. They're they're holding off on giving Ertz a contract. It would not surprise me if that's because they know they have their number one tight There's end. There's no Goddard. doubt about it, Kyle. There's no doubt that
2: is about That's what they're, why they're thinking. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I think he he's young, he's crazy athletic. He has only ever produced at an efficient level when given opportunities. I think by the end of the year, we could be talking about well, you know, Zach Ertz is done. He's uh, he's going to go somewhere and play out the twilight of his career in like Seattle, like Greg Olson or whatever. Dallas Goddard could be the number one tight end as early as like midseason.
2: I I think you're right. I really do. He's super athletic. He's talented. He can do pretty much everything Ertz does. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if 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 Goddard if if Sunday comes and Goddard is 0.2%. Well, 5K to me is, is well worth it. It's a decent enough at, uh, LA Rams defense, but um, I, I really think that's a, a fair enough price on a guy that was targeted a ton, played 79% of snaps, and can be targeted deep 20-plus yards downfield. All right, uh, guys, let's, do, let's have some fun here before we get to our top stacks. Uh, hit that thumbs up if you haven't done so yet. It helps us greatly. Uh, thumbs up. Subscribe button, notification bell, so you always know when new content's going to drop next. We got just north of 400 people watching. Show, uh, show us some love. We appreciate all of you guys hanging out with us every morning. Let, let's do this. Running back, wide receiver, tight end, because we're going to get to quarterbacks. We'll talk about them with the game stacks just a moment. Uh, your favorite low-owned pivot. It's only Wednesday, but your favorite low on pivot at each position, Matt, we'll start at running back. We'll start with you. Who do you have at running back lower on pivot right
1: now? Is it it Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. And it's not really a question for me. They're going to be playing with significant positive game script, 25 touches last week, all coming on carries. He was on the field for 73.5% of Kansas City's run plays. And I think we saw that increase throughout the game when Daryl Williams disappointed a little bit. And I still project him to be the leading pass catcher. We didn't see them play with negative game scripts on the off chance that they do. I don't think he's a guy that gets game scripted out. He caught 55 balls at LSU. He also ran a route on 52% of Pat Mahomes dropbacks. Again, influenced a little bit by the positive game script.
2: All right. What about you, Matt? All right, Kyle.
0: Yeah, I, that's, that's the number one, actually. I was, like, shocked. that I, I probably just didn't think it didn't come up because he's so low on our ownership. He's the number one, but in the same game, Austin Eckler at number two, we talked about him on top. I think people are going to be so terrified by that one target game, but it made some sense in the context of the game being close and one that they could just, you know, limit since he's offense. For me, they're going to get obliterated in this game versus KC, and he's going to get a lot of targets again. Maybe that's not how we see him used all season, but if there were any game where he would get 10 targets. And he's in the past two games that he played them, he got 10 and 12 targets, I believe. And that's not because he's such a matchup nightmare for them. And they don't understand how to defend him. It's because they lost both those games by a decent amount. So for me, Austin Eckler is absolutely a guy who I'm buying low on for, for one week. I don't know if it lasts all season, but one week.
2: I love him too. Uh, and I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Ronald Jones. I wouldn't say he's unowned. You know, he's, he's not down there at Clyde Edwards-Hilaire levels, but 8% on jones after seeing that Bruce Arians kept his word, uh, after seeing that he had 17 carries compared to only five for Fournette, zero for McCoy, in a game where they're massive favorites against a defense that I don't really think any of us have a ton of faith in. 28 and a half implied total for Tampa Bay. That's third highest on the slate. They're nine and a half point. They're laying nine and a half points in this game with a 47 and a half over under. I, I think at 5,200, Ronald Jones should be Way higher owned than he is. I'll be all over that if it stays the same. Okay, uh, Kyle, wide receiver.
0: Do people not realize that Will Fuller is like the unquestioned alpha number one in this team? Dating back to his time at Notre Dame, he was a guy who I think we we think of him as like Brandon Cooks, Kenny Stills. We think of him as guys on his team. We we associate him as a role player, a guy who splashes every now and then. Dating back to his time at Notre Dame, he had one of the higher like market shares of receiving yards. In NCAA that year, because he's a guy who can dominate an entire game on the deep ball alone. He's not Kenny Stills. He's prime Deshaun Jackson, prime Mike Wallace with those Steelers teams. He's a guy who you can run your offense through him. And that's what they did. He was in- incredible in week one, going over 100 yards. He was targeted double digit times, I believe. 120-some air yards. He is the number one receiver on a Deshaun Watson-led team. Deshaun Watson throws a beautiful deep ball. I get it, the matchup is scary versus Baltimore, but I also think Baltimore is, we know, Baltimore is going to put up a lot of points. Houston is going to be throwing the ball a ton just to keep up. Will Fuller's 6,300 is a great price, and then 3.3% ownership is our projection for him right now. That's absurd.
2: It's really crazy. How about you, Matt?
0: What if I told you you could get
1: Juju Smith-Schuster at 1.5%? Going against a Denver secondary that just lost their best corner in A.J. Boyer, I would be I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in, yeah, baby. So, so with Juju, he wasn't targeted quite as much as Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson coming in, uh, 32% target share. But Juju, of course, no slouch either. He had a 19.4% target share. He was in on 100% of the dropbacks running around. You love to see that. he's a guy they try to manufacture touches for. He's not at a great price point. He's 6,500. So there's some other really nice options around him, which is why I think you're getting the low ownership on Juju Smith-Schuster. But I think this is a nice bounce back spot.
2: Carolina lost James Bradbury. They had more turnover on their defense than any other team, only returning, I think, 38% of snaps from last season. Uh, They coughed up an absurd amount of points to the Las Vegas Raiders last time out. And on the other side of this game, you've got, some, what was it, 34 points they gave up? Yeah. Uh, 372 total yards. On the other side of this game, you have Mike Evans, who I guarantee you everyone is soured on after last week. A couple of things. One, guy was not playing at 100%. Now he's got a full week to to, to regain strength and come back whole. Number two, Lattimore has shut him down every single time they face each other. It's just the way it is. And when you have some other outlets like Chris Godwin to make life easier, you'll go to them. Scotty Miller was a bit of a surprise, but that's besides the point. Mike Evans, horrible, horrible game last time. Garbage time touchdown from two yards out late in that one. It was his only reception. 6,400 against this young, inexperienced, incohesive Tampa Bay or Carolina secondary and defense to me stands out as someone who right now should be getting more than what is he at like four percent ownership at sixty four hundred dollars he's simply too good of a talent to not get uh any attention here regardless of what we saw last week all right uh Matt tight end
1: all right tight end going off the board a little bit we're going up in price too which I don't love but it is Evan Engram at 5.3k on DraftKings Tough matchup for him last week. He now finds himself against the Bears defense, which is not fear-inspiring despite popular consents. They're a team that didn't have Robert Quinn last week, so they were, you know, aside from Khalil Mack, struggling to get after the after the, the, the quarterback a little bit. Evan Ingram ran more routes than Darius Layton, Sterling Shepard, and of course, Golden Tate was injured. Comes in with an 18% target share. So this week against the Bears, I think it's a much nicer matchup for Evan Ingram. I will have some of him.
2: How about you, Kyle? Who do we have at tight
0: end? Yeah, Dallas Goddard's a good one. We talked to, about him to death already. So I'm going to go with Jordan Aikens, a guy who's on the field almost three times as much as Darren Fells, who was, I would say, the one big concern for me, if uh, I guess for me, because I was playing Jordan Aikens in, in the showdown slate, was that Darren Fells was a guy who they use in the red zone. He's primarily a blocker, but he's like six out. So it makes sense to get him involved in the red zone. Aikens was just the guy who's playing on a majority of their passing downs. He was a guy who outsnapped uh Darren Fells, and he got a handful of targets on a team that I think is going to lose fairly badly to Lamar Jackson. The Ravens are going to be throwing a lot. So for me, he's a guy that I think I, I am interested in some, you know, fuller Aikens and-, and Watson stacks. And he's the guy who I think has at least touched on upside and, he- and he's pretty cheap 3,300.
2: Okay. Cheap tight ends are 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 really tough to come by. Low owned tight ends are oftentimes low owned for a reason. I think we all know that. But uh, I don't have an issue with Janu Smith in this game. I don't expect Tannehill to throw forty plus times, so that's obviously a concern. But Janu Smith was 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 targeted in the red zone. That's encouraging. Uh, he he was out there. How many? I forget what how many snaps he played. I just had it pulled up, uh, but I believe he was out there for for quite a bit. Uh, just Smith schuster Or sorry. Janusiewicz played 73% of snaps, seven targets in this one. Uh, They should be able to move the ball at will. You might slide into a touchdown here, and he's a little bit too expensive to where people are just going to fade him entirely. I don't have an issue with it, but I'm not in love with any dirt cheap guys that aren't getting any ownership. Uh, Logan Thomas, one of you guys mentioned that. I think that's probably going to be the guy at 3,600 that that gets a lot of attention, and, and rightfully so. All right, we're about uh, 55 minutes into it going strong. Let's um, let's get to our top stacks here. But before we do, I want to let you know we got about a couple of things we've got going on at Awesome. If you missed out on the, the Red Zone promo where you get 50% off uh, the entire week, only 750, well, I don't know what you were doing. We ran it for a week. It was a phenomenal promo. But still, there's still time to get in on what we've got going on at Awesome. We've got the projections, player projections, ownership projections. The top stack tool, which if you've watched our baseball shows, you know how valuable it is. That'll be updated today. It's an incredible tool to see where the best value is, where the ownership is, where to get leverage. You can do the same with ownership. And all of these tools are developed by Alex Baker, Awesomeo himself, the number one ranked DFS player in the world. Uh, these aren't just his name slapped on them and we shovel them out there and say, hey, look, they're Alex's. No, he uses these. He wins a ton of money, an unfathomable amount of money, With these ownership projections and all of these tools uh so that's exactly what you're getting when you sign up at awesome the same tools that alex uses that we use um and they're they're awesome and you can check out our hall of fame wall our testimonials we've had so many amazing wins using the awesomo.com uh tools and ownership and uh top stack tool and lineup builder and all of our premium articles and of course the fantasy cruncher add-on which is super super valuable so uh, check that out. Go to awesomeocom join, and we'll ask you what type of player you are. You can, you can click. Uh, you're a hobbyist, you're serious, you're a professional, and then we'll cater the subscription to you, whether it's an express pass for only a couple dollars a week or an annual. Uh, I think the all-access monthly is the best way to go about it. So check it all out, and you can see for yourself on the screen right now a ton of huge wins from awesomeo subscribers uh, they like it. We think you'll love it as well. And be sure to check out our premium Slack chat when you do. People talking DFS, sports, betting, everything, all day long. And if you're into golf, right? Last thing here, pay attention. If you're if you're into PGA, maybe you're watching the NFL show because you love this, but you want to get some PGA action in there. Well, do it right now because we've got a 50% off your first week of Awesome O Plus PGA content, everything on our PGA content, again, projection, ownership, top golfer tools, all of our premium articles. It's $4 and 50 cents. If you use the promo code bogey, B-O-G-E-Y, going to be a lot of them this weekend, but a lot of money to be made and saved here by using bogey at checkout. When you check out B-O-G-E-Y, 50% off your first PGA weekly pass. All right, fellas. Let's do it. Top stacks. We already hit on most of them that we think are going to be popular. So maybe we should just talk on some that, that maybe will fly a little bit under the radar and where, which ones we'd like to get off of. So, Kyle, with Dallas and Atlanta, I think we're all in agreement that we want to have sizable pieces and exposure to this, even if it means maybe getting less Amari Cooper and replacing it with a lot of lamb or something. But we know that game is really enticing. What's another game that you really, really like heading into Week Two?
0: I hate to say it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to the Chargers. I think, that, I think they're a team that you look at what Tyrod Taylor can do with his legs, and you look at the weapons he has. They're not going to be good every week, but I do think when they are getting blown out, if they're throwing a lot of pass attempts, Tyrod Taylor's con, gonna convert some of those to rush attempts. He's going to hit Austin Eckler a few times, and they're going to be incredibly low owned. In games, we want to play teams playing the Chiefs. Like, I want to have to face my offense against Patrick Mahomes because he's going to force you to throw the ball. He's going to force you to put up points or die trying. And then you can run it back with a ton of great options, including Clyde Artisolaire. Who, you know, Matt stole for me. I would have called him as the best pivot. I think he's the best low-owned running back play of the slate by like a wide margin. It's incredible that we haven't projected under 5% ownership. So I think there are great run back options on the other side. And I do think there are a lot of weapons. Mike Williams, interestingly, was like top five or 10 in air yards last week, led the team in targets, I believe. He's a guy who has a ton of splash potential, even if it is not, you know, the most exciting to see Tyrod Taylor throwing them. He's been an efficient deep ball passer in the past. He just doesn't do it super often. Maybe that's because he hasn't had Mike Williams. So for me, I think there are a lot of interesting ways to attack this game, and no one's going to attack it in any way, apparently.
2: I was surprised by that, but also pretty encouraged as well, because uh, mm-hmm. I grabbed Mike Evans real late in some drafts thinking, hey, look, 1,000-yard receiver last year, quietly, uh, but he's super talented. I, you, we all know Mike Williams is really good. It was it was pretty encouraging to see him get those opportunities. Uh, he had three balls targeted 20-plus yards downfield. Uh, which was nice on eight targets for the day. I'm with you on that game, especially if people are going to be off of it, like you said, Kyle, how are we not going to try and get to a game that could see 55, 60 total points and has myriad weapons from each side of the game? Going to be expensive in some spots, but there's also some good savings in guys like Eckler uh, and guys like Mike Williams. I'm all about that, running it back with a Kansas City player or two. All right, Kyle, what do we got? I'm sorry, Matt.
1: I, I love the Washington football team versus the Arizona Cardinals. It's a game with a 47 and a half total. And we know Arizona is going to carry some ownership. It's mostly a price thing. We just get Kyler and Kenyon Drake coming in cheap, but I don't hate going to Washington. We talked at the beginning of the show about small sample traps. And I think we could be seeing a few here on the Washington side. A little bit surprised to me how much positive game script they played in, but they still ran 70 plays. That was ninth in the NFL, only passed the ball 48.6% of the time. But if we look at Scott Turner, their OC, he's with Carolina last year, and they have a history of running fast, and they have a history of passing a lot. We know Arizona on the other side. They're the exact same style offense, passing a ton, running a ton of plays. So I'm expecting this to be a pace up spot. If you want to pivot just straight off the Arizona team, I think you can look to some Terry McLaurin. He's 5,900. If you want to get real risky, you can throw some Dwayne Haskins in there for a stack. But this is a game I want pieces of for sure.
2: Me too. And I think you probably get decently low ownership as well. Another one that's surprising to me, Chris Godwin is getting some, some ownership around 14%, but it's not even close to this Atlanta game. Outside of that, Ronald Jones... 8.7%, Mike Evans, 5%, Rob Gronkowski, highly ineffective last week, just throwing it out there. He's at 4%, OJ Howard at 0.7%. The Bucs are going to bounce back here. I don't care what happened last week. It was underwhelming. Arians was surprised by Brady's performance, which is a little weird because I don't think any of us expected him to be that good uh, that week or this season, but this is a prime opportunity for them to bounce back and you're getting a bunch of them sub 10% ownership, despite the fact that they're priced down, it would be different if you had to overpay for all of these guys. And then you say, okay, well, their value is low. Uh, they're not good value options. That's why they're coming in with such low ownership, but that's not the case. Evans is 6,400. Uh, Jones is, is 5,200. Godwin, you're going to have to pay for a little bit, but $7,000 is not bad at all. Uh, running it back with like a DJ Moore feels like a really great spot against the Tampa Bay secondary that may have made some improvements, but is still the weak spot of this defense. I'm loving it. All right. Um, We got through about an hour plus here, guys. We could probably keep going on forever. What are your final thoughts, Matt, on ownership heading into week two? We've still got a ton of shows coming up. You guys will be on with us uh, doing more throughout the week, but what what are your final thoughts heading into week two on how things shape up and, and what type of, what type of build, what type of decisions to be making early on?
1: It's going to be a slate, I think, affected by some late news again. Now, there's a few situations. I don't know if Benny Snell would take over for, you know, James Conner, if that was going to happen. But we have a lot of receivers that are hurt, you know, Cortland Sutton, Kenny Galladay. A lot of these guys were hurt last week. Michael Thomas isn't expected to play. So I just make sure you monitor ownership throughout the week. Can't stress that enough. It's going to be huge. We might get Miles Sanders back. If he's at 6K, he's going to become an immediate value So this is a really important week. Just watch ownership, make sure you are fluid with your process and make adjustments as you need to.
2: Kyle, someone said in chat, contrarian won't win a GPP this week. I'm telling you right now, chalk is chalk every week for a reason because they have the highest likelihood or at least the perceived highest likelihood of panning out. Most people, most people are going to say each week that contrarian plays won't win. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe wrap us up with some thoughts on that and and why there would be some logic in in getting away from some popular plays. Doesn't mean fading them, but maybe just being a little bit different, knowing that any week anything can happen.
0: Yeah, so I think this dovetails into the Christian McCaffrey conversation where he's going to be at least somewhat owned every week and Whoever, whoever's in chat saying that he went, uh, he will break one slate a year. I 100% agree. He will probably have a hundred hundred game where he hits the double bonus on DK and breaks the entire slate. That is the only slate where if you play Chris McCaffrey, you are really live though. Any Any other time and you're at a disadvantage... And I think you can look at you can look at chalk the same way. And I agree, you don't have to fade. You don't have to entirely fade chalk. Last week's millimaker winner had Calvin Ridley, but then completely backed off that game. And I think that's maybe the way you want to attack what is almost certainly going to be by far and away, the most popular game. Maybe you just run a single, you know, Michael Gallup and you run it back with someone on the other side. You just don't go all in. Because we saw that, that is, I think that is a a viable way to attack it, especially if Michael Gallup goes double touchdown. That's exactly what Calvin Ridley did. The number two option, he wasn't completely unowned, but it just got you to capture some touchdowns from the game and move on to better value elsewhere on the slate. And the better value is just jamming in Aaron Rodgers and all of his weapons. So I think that's maybe how you want to attack it.
2: Great points. We'll close it out on that. Thanks for everyone hanging out. As always, it's been a great time. Let's get that up over 100 likes to close this out. We will be back with you tomorrow. Matt Savoka, myself, it's the NFL Strategy Show presented by Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. We'll see you in the morning.